title of the sermon this morning is Time Well Spent. Time Well Spent. Just as we looked at earlier, Psalm 90 is a song of Moses where he really breaks open a truth for all of us to consider. He goes back and reminds Israel of what God has done for them and essentially finishes off with a desire to count the time that God's given him, to be wise in, in being a steward of what God has given him as far as time goes. Um, many may ask, why is it that we're talking about this this morning? One of the things that's hardest sometimes as a pastor, especially in Sundays like this, is to really bring a message from God that isn't just a personal hobby horse or something that you would want to speak on, but what is it that God would want you to speak on? Um, one of the things that I was very impressed with this last week, and, and I would say more or less God has impressed on my heart, um, is just how short life is. How short life really is. Um, I know many of you do not need to be reminded of that. I know you've realized very personally recently of the passing of time. But as the psalmist says, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom each time that we see these things happen, there to teach us something, there to remind us of something. If we're to be wise stewards of the time we have on this earth, maybe it would do good for us to make some things a priority in our lives, would it not? There are three specific areas we're going to be looking at to make sure that we're being wise stewards and gaining that heart of wisdom. And some of you, you, you might be tempted to just check out because you're aware of all of these things, but I want to ask you to consider just because you're aware doesn't mean you're doing or practicing these things. We're aware of a lot of things that we don't do readily, do we not? So these are the three things we're going to be looking at. Number one, time reading the Word. Number two, time talking to the Lord. And number three, time with godly influences. Number one, time reading the Word. Why would you need time to read the Word? Well, the first reason is for the conviction of sin. In 2 Kings chapter 22, verses 8 through 13, we, we read an incredible account of King Josiah when the law was read to him. It says this, Then Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. So Shaphan the scribe went to the king, bringing the king word, saying, Your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house, and have delivered it into the hand of those who do the work, who oversee the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law, that he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam the son of Shaphan, Akbor the son of Micaiah, Shaphan the scribe, and Asiah, a servant of the king, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me, for the people and for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. What's amazing is that Josiah, the king that's mentioned here, came to power as a king at the great old age of eight. Actually, he was very young. Eight years old, he came to power as king. He started very young. But what's amazing is that he wasn't taught well. He didn't have direction. And so when the law was read to him, he realized what had been abandoned in the nation that he was over. Josiah himself, when the law was read before him, saw how much he was not aware of when it came to sin. A very telling reason why so many Christians don't see much of what goes on in culture as sinful because the Word of God may not be the priority in their life. You see, most of us will give a pass to sin if we're not making the Word a priority. We'll make a pass for ourselves and those around us when we don't make the reading of God's Word a priority. Because we don't want to be convicted over sin. Is that not true? 
Sometimes we don't read because we don't want to face the reality of who we are. The mirror isn't exactly going to give us the picture we want to see. Because the truth is, the mirror of God's word gets to the heart. It pierces right through the exterior. You see, Jesus that, the Jesus that many claim to worship in our culture is a Jesus of their own imagination because he's not found in the pages of Scripture. He's the version that many see in classics like Jesus Christ, super, Superstar, back in the early 60s and 70s. He's the hippie walking around with a peace sign, loving on everybody. King Josiah, though, realized that the gravity of the situation was that his people were in sin, and he was in charge. When he realizes this, he tears his clothes in a sign of repentance and mourning. Josiah is convicted over what was read, and he asks for a more inquiry into what God would have for them. It wasn't enough for Josiah just to know what it is that they had done, but he wanted to know for sure, and he asked. You ever been convicted over something you've read in the Bible only to want to avoid it? Because you really don't want to dig deeper because this really is kind of calling you out. You've ever read a text of scripture that you think only applies to someone else? And then you realize that actually applies to me. That's essentially why reading God's word is so important. Because there's conviction of sin, that'll happen. And it's actually good for you and I to be convicted of sin. Believer, the moment that you and I are not convicted of sin is the moment that we've strayed. Many a follower of Christ don't care for the words of Scripture because they don't like to feel the conviction over sin. Which is why the sins we typically judge others for are the ones we aren't currently committing. Oh, I used to do that. I don't do it anymore, so I'm better than they are. I don't have anything else to worry about. If you and I are not in the Word, we're not going to see anything that we need to be convicted about currently. And if we do, we will, if you will, typically do this. Yeah, I'm wrong in this area. So what? A couple important points here to mention. Josiah is a young man, and he led reform in his nation. You don't need to be older to lead change to people around you. There's this concept that you have to be a certain age to lead reform with people around you. That's not the case here. And adults, sometimes we can learn from those that are younger than us, maybe even our children, when God convicts them over something, that maybe we have some of that hardness right now in our heart that we need to deal with. Could you imagine Josiah having been brought up without the knowledge of the law, and when he finally realizes it, he changes things that his own family never dared change. We're very quick to judge those that don't hold to our standards. But what if that standard is what God says? And maybe our standard is the one that's off. Typically, the older need to be the example. But that's not always the case, as we see here in Josiah's situation. You don't just need time in the Word to be convicted over sin, but also to battle with sin. Ephesians 6 clearly points this out. 6, 13 through 17. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And then the famous verse that most of us that were in Awana clubs would quote. Psalm 119.11 Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
Spiritual warfare requires weapons. And one of the weapons that's given to us that's offensive and the only offensive weapon to fight back that we've been given is the Word of God. That's the only offensive weapon that we have. The sword of the Spirit. The only thing you can fight back sin with is the Word of God. You can't just repeat to yourself, I won't do it, I won't do it, I won't do it, and think it'll happen. How many of us have promised God we won't do certain things and we still did them? In that moment, you need to realize, believer, that you weren't relying on his strength, you were relying on yours when you made that statement. That's why we fail. If the word of God is not a part of your life, you will not succeed in your fight against sin. Do you want to know why it's so hard to get Christians to live a consistent Christian life? It's because the Word of God isn't a priority to them. We're talking different wavelengths. If somebody is in the Word and someone's not in the Word, and they're both believers, you're not going to be talking the same language. Why is it that you and I can have friends that are supposedly followers of Jesus, and when you bring something up that Scripture clearly says, they're like, I don't believe that. I don't think that's true. Where does the Bible say that? If they took even an ounce of time to look into the situation or the sin that they claim is not a sin, they'd see clearly that it was. Jesus himself found it important to quote Scripture. What makes you think that you can get a pass? When Jesus is tempted by Satan himself, he quotes Scripture. What makes you think you're better off? Are you now somehow superior to him? You've arrived? Oh, that worked for Jesus. It doesn't work for me. Wait a second. I thought you trusted him with your life. Don't you think the method that he used would be important to use in your own life? What makes you think that you and I are better off without it? I don't push for Bible reading for the church because it makes me happy as a pastor, so I feel like I've checked something off. I push Bible reading because I realize that everything stems off of that in this church. Your conflicts with people in the church will go very different if you're in the Word. The bitterness you're dealing with inside is going to go very different if you're in the Word. You're not going to be so quick to get upset at everybody else when you realize the sinner that you are before God. You're not going to be so judgmental of everybody else. You're going to be quick to see, wait a second, let's start with myself before God, and then I will work on my relationship with others as well. It isn't just merely reading, but rather memorization with the intention of follow-through. If you're memorizing Scripture just to memorize Scripture, you've missed the point. Any disciple that merely listens to sermons, reads the Bible, memorizes verses just because they think that's what's required misses the point when it says, hidden in the heart. Your word, if I hid it in my heart, it's a part of who I am. The word is a part of who I am. So when someone does something that hurts me, I'm going to respond based on what scripture says, not how I'm feeling at the moment. Because how I'm feeling at the moment is decking them. And I know it's not a right feeling. When you're reading verses on anger and you realize that that's you, you pay attention. And you fight against it. Sometimes the ways we fall are just physical ailments we neglect to take care of. Did you know your physical ailments can contribute to your spiritual walk? If you and I don't get enough sleep, we don't eat what we ought to, many times it affects our spiritual walk. Try surviving on four hours of sleep and just drink Red Bull. Tell me how that works out for your spiritual walk long term. A lot of us that are younger try to pull that off. Didn't work out so well sometimes. Why are you so angry? Why are you snapping? I'm running off of four hours of sleep. 
I highly doubt the extra time that we had that we probably could have gotten more sleep was used just to read the Bible. Highly doubt that. You probably won't be a God-honoring person sleeping only four hours a night due to wanting to get other things done. Use discernment in your spiritual walk by paying attention to your physical ailments as well. Pay attention to what sometimes triggers your responses to people. You know what's better than saying the wrong thing? Don't say anything at all. If you know you're internally angry at the moment, use discernment. Like one of the hardest things, if I'm doing fasting and I just started, probably don't want to get into a conflict with someone at that time. It ain't going to work out for the benefit of that person or myself. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. Rest time is not waste time. It is economy to gather fresh strength. It is wisdom to take occasional furlough. In the long run, we shall do more by sometimes doing less. Believer, Paul the Apostle had physical ailments and he realized that they played a role in a spiritual walk. You and I need to do so as well. Time in the Word is also important for one other reason that shouldn't be missed. It's important for sharing with others. Acts 28, 23 through 24. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. This is the Apostle Paul. We talked about this in our series in the book of Acts, that in order to reach others with the gospel, you yourself need to be in the word. Believer, the reason why you and I don't have a lot of things to talk about when it comes to the things of God is we're not gleaning from God ourselves. We're taking our little snippets from that sermon we listened to or something someone else said, and we're borrowing it for ourselves, and we never personally spent time with God. Imagine trying to develop a relationship with your spouse by someone talking to them for you. I don't know my spouse's need. Let someone else talk to my wife and hopefully they can help me figure out what I need to figure out. How would that go? Unfortunately, that's what a lot of Christians do. They don't want to do the study themselves. They don't want to read the word themselves. They want the pastor to do it, someone else to do it. You tell me what I ought to do. God wants you to search the scriptures just like the Bereans did. Oh, Paul had plenty to say to them, but the Bereans still had to check. It is not enough to simply memorize a few ABCs of the gospel. You need to be immersed in the word to have something to share. Those are good starters. They're very helpful. But unfortunately, if all you're doing is memorizing a couple verses and you think you're all set now, you no longer are going to be ready when the moment comes if you're, if you're not daily immersed in God's word. Paul used the Old Testament, Old Testament writings as a tool to show Christ. It's not like Paul on the spot got to pull out his scrolls. And back in the law, it says this. Paul had it memorized. Paul knew it. Paul was so familiar with it that it came right out of the outflow of his heart. What God could do to, with our church if we only found this kind of value in his word. That we not only want to deal with sin that God convicts us over, we couldn't wait to share that with others. Believer, God is not asking you to act like you have no sin. He's asking you to deal with your sin. Because the only one that's ever been perfect is Jesus. That's why you needed him. The world's not looking for perfection. The world is looking for saints that live what God's word says. 
What's worse is Christians that pretend and feign perfection and are truly hypocritical. Imagine if we loved God's word so much that we couldn't wait to share that with others. It wasn't just our hearts that we wanted to share, but truly, what is it that God's word said that stirred our hearts? The word is such an important ingredient in how we spend our time wisely. But so is this next one. Time talking to the Lord, or prayer. Why is that important? Well, first of all, for confession of sin. Everybody knows this verse if you've been in the church any amount of time. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Prayer should be so sacred that confession is necessary before a holy God. Listen, believer, we're going to talk about some of the other elements of, of prayer, but if confession isn't in your prayer life, you're missing an important ingredient. If you're skipping to some of the other ones we're going to talk about here in a moment, you're missing one of the key elements in a prayer life. The unfortunate thing is so many jump to the other things we'll discuss that they don't start with confession. So many of us used to confess sin, and now we act like we don't have any, or all that many at all now. Oh, that was back then. I really struggled with sin back then. Oh, you've arrived. Congratulations, you're a true hypocrite. Sure, if Jesus came right in here, we wouldn't be able to, he wouldn't be able to list anything going on in your life in this last week, right? You lived it flawlessly in front of your family, right? You should be more aware of your sin now than you were years ago. Because the truth is, the reason why a lot of us don't confess sin as much now is because we had a greater love for God back then than we do now. Confession to many is no longer deemed necessary. I don't need to confess. That's essentially what a lot of us go through. Back then... I was a dirty, rotten sinner. Today, I'm a lot better. I don't have all that much to confess anymore. Let me, let me, let me give you something practical from Scripture that will show you that it doesn't matter how long you've been walking with God, that you still have to confess sin. David, when God called him as a shepherd, was faithful to him in the small things, and God raised him up to be a king. But after he was a king, and he, would walk, he was walking with God for some time, he fell into the most egregious sins in his life. What makes you think that you can't do the same thing? And David, when he's confronted with it, facing the consequences that God had for him on that, he prays confession. He confesses his sin before God. Because he realizes what he's done. How many of us do realize what we've done? You see, a lot of us like to play the comparison game. Well, I'm not as bad as that person. I didn't do those things that they've done. Look at what they've done. You're saying you have nothing to confess? The context of 1 John is written to saints and believers who still sin. Most of us, unfortunately, buy this, bypass this one entirely, which is why we keep focusing on the next point we're going to talk about here. What we don't realize is that many times this next one is a result of our sin and the process of sowing and reaping in our lives. The second reason, if you will, that it's important to spend time talking to God or to the Lord is for help with struggles. And many times those struggles are a result of our sin. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. But we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, 
but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You have someone that's been through what you have been through on this earth and was tempted as you are but did not sin. He gives you access to the throne because of what he has done. We are needy people, which is why mercy and grace is so important. Don't think that it's too much to go to Jesus with your problems. He's well aware of them. He already knows. Boldly come before the throne because of what he has done. But when you come, realize your own sinfulness. So many of us come demanding as if God owes us an explanation or we have somehow earned a better result in our lives. What we don't realize is we don't deserve grace or else it's no longer grace. If your first thought is, I deserved a better answer, God, you don't understand your condition. If your first response is, it's not fair, you don't understand who you are. Talking to God about these things is important, and we should never neglect to do so. But as we have a high priest who cares for us, we are also to intercede on behalf of others. To make sure we ourselves are living the example that he has set for us. Another thing that's important in talking to God, coming before God in prayer, is for an intercession on behalf of others. 1 Timothy 2, 1-4. Therefore I exert, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Before praying that God would change others, confess your own sin. Every prophet that prayed for the nation realized their own sinfulness. What many of us do is we jump to praying for others without realizing who we are and the areas that we need to clean up. Before praying for government officials to rule righteously, be the citizen that God's called you to be. God wants and desires that you pray for others, even if it's a benefit to you personally as well, right? The, the, the phrase here is that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. That's to your benefit. That's to your benefit. If you don't pray, and I dare say some of us neglect this area, start immediately. It's an essential element of the church. Listen to what Spurgeon says. A, per a prayerless church member is a hindrance. He is in the body like a rotting bone or decayed tooth. Before long, since he does not contribute to the benefit of his brethren, he will become a danger and a sorrow to, him, to them. Neglect of private prayer is the locust which devours the strength of the church. Along these lines, I want to encourage something that has been slipping in the church again. Church, we need to be praying more frequently, not less. 10 o'clock, 10.03 if we get out late, we have a prayer meeting downstairs in the lunchroom. And I understand some of you don't always attend, and I don't, I'm not here to guilt trip you over that, and I'm not saying you don't pray. That's not what I'm saying. I just want to encourage us as a church to be more frequent in this. We as a church need to be a praying church. It is the house of prayer afterward, after all, right? And if we're not a praying church, then we're missing one of the key elements in our spiritual vitality. If we're a prayerless church, we'll be a church that flounders and faints. 
we need to be a praying church. And that means that by being a praying church, we are going to pray for sin in our own lives. We're going to confess those things. We're going to bring our struggles before God. And then we're going to intercede on behalf of others. We're going to come to God in the manner that he wants, not the way we want. Pray on others' behalf, but start with yourself first. Don't jump to God, change my spouse, my kids, my boss, my church, my nation. Start with yourself first. We're quick to have God change everyone around us. Very slow to ask him to change us. We want God to be patient with us and we're impatient with everyone else. Start with yourself. This all leads to the last area of time well spent. This last area is time with godly influences. Time with godly influences. Why would this be important? Well, first of all, it's important for encouragement and troubles. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11 13. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. You need time with godly influences for encouragement, believer. You need time around people that love God. That is what you desperately need. You don't need more sports You don't need more money. You need time around the people of God. And many times we swap all the things that matter most for the things that don't. We all need to survive. We all need to pay the bills. We all need to take care of things. Not arguing that the work isn't important. It is. But if work gets in the way of fellowship of believers, you are missing out on one of the greatest things in your life that God has put for you. And I want to make this statement, and I want to be careful how I word this, but I want this to come across to our church, and we understand this. Men need time with other godly men. They need to just have dialogues, have some fun, but also have fellowship around the things of God. Ladies need fellowship with each other. If you're isolated away from all of that, you're missing out on one of the best things God has for you. I dare say one of the reasons why so many in the church struggle is because they're trying to do it alone. They're trying to do it themselves. And they're upset that others aren't around. There are times where people have reached out. They try to connect. And you and I have pushed them away. Or we're saying we're too busy. You need others to encourage you when you're going through struggles. Even pastors need others to encourage them when they're going through struggles. One of the easiest ways to get discouraged is to become isolated or hang out with the wrong people. Oh, you can hang out with people, but many times we hang out with the wrong people. That's part of the problem. Typically, people that have a low view of the church body congregate together. And instead of edifying one another, they only spew poison at the very family they're supposedly a part of. You ever been around families that really have these kind of controversies? They just fling mud at each other. They don't love each other. Like, Man, that's, that's a disheveled family. Man, they don't even love each other the way they ought to. That's the church of God many times. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon says on this. Satan always hates Christian fellowship. It is his policy to keep Christians apart. Anything which can divide saints from one another, he delights in. He attaches far more importance to godly intercourse than we do. Since union is strength, he does his best to promote separation. 
if you're separated from the body of Christ and the fellowship of other believers and saints, the problem is typically that God is not the problem or other saints are not the problem. Satan's got a hold of you in some area. When you and I want to isolate from the very encouragement that God offers in the local church, that is not their fault. That is our fault. I can't tell you the amount of times that I didn't realize that Satan was working in my own mind and made me doubt other people in this church really loved me. You ever had that happen? If you were honest with yourself, I think all of us have had that happen. I don't know if that person really cares. They said that a long time ago, but I haven't heard it from them recently. We do that with all sorts of people. We haven't talked to them in a while. We don't think they care for us anymore. What's amazing is that we give certain people passes for not talking to us for a while, and then we hold it against others that do. I mean, it's really fascinating how the mind works many times and how Satan can manipulate Christians. He casts doubt on the very things that are pretty solid. You need godly influences around you, not just to build you up, but also to challenge you in your living, believer. For godly living, 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 through 50, the next part of that text. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Such a loaded text here. With different types of people you'll find in the church that need to be helped. He mentions the unruly. <laughs> Those are the undisciplined in the church. The ones that are kind of like renegades. They do their own thing and they need to be corrected. They have like no traction whatsoever in their spiritual walk. They're in and out. They need to be told, watch out. Literally, there's a cliff right over there. You're about to drop. It's coming. We've all been there. We've all been there. Others have warned us. We didn't want to listen. Which is why discipline is something that is learned over time. It is not instantly gotten a hold of. These are people that need to be given structure and warned that if they continue down that path, it'll end up in disaster. If that's you... Right now, please listen to those who truly care for you. They're not doing it because they hate you. They do it because they love you. And they want you to live what Scripture says. And they want God to bless your life. Warning a brother or sister that's down a dangerous path of real dangers lying ahead is loving. It's not hateful. The worst thing for us to do is just pray for them and not warn them. That's not God's method. It says warn. Realize that just because someone has been there, done that, and trying to help you with something doesn't mean that they think they're better than you now. They've already done what you've done. They've already played the stupid. And they realize where it ended. They're trying to spare you the same. They're not somehow better than you. We've all had our share of struggles. The next group that's mentioned here is faint-hearted. Those who are afraid or lack courage due to circumstances in their life. These are people that have a lot of hardship going on, and they just need someone to come alongside them and bolster their strength. To give them courage to face what's going on in life. They need comfort or cheering up by way of encouragement to move forward. You ever seen somebody that's had it all together and everything seems perfect in their life and one thing hits and their whole world falls apart? That's the faint-hearted right here. This is the person that really has a hard time processing what's going on. And they need support and they need comfort and they need encouragement. 
And then another group that's mentioned here is the weak. These are the ones that have a hard time fighting off sin in their life. They keep struggling and they keep struggling and keep failing and keep failing and they don't know how to do it. Those that truly need support and help in fighting temptation in their life. Don't minimize another person's struggle, believer. Just because it's not yours. Don't minimize another person's struggle with sin that's not yours. These people need tender care as they're helped. They don't need a condescending, self-righteous Pharisee telling them how they don't live up to the standard. The weak need someone that's strong that understands how to build them up. Let's use the analogy of exercise for a moment. You're lifting 200 pounds. You don't give the new guy at the gym 200 pounds to lift the first time. You build them up to that strength. Imagine you give that to your child to do. All right, buddy, son, try it. They're not ready for it. They haven't grown enough yet. And yet a lot of Christians try to implement those kind of strategies with people around them. They expect a person to be able to perform at their level for many years of training that God's already put them through. Important encouragement here in this text is to not repay others with evil, but rather seek the good for yourself and others. Church, if we always sought the good of ourselves and others and we always kept both in mind, the church would be a different place. If the church wasn't just, it's about me and what I want, but we truly are seeking the good for ourselves and others, meaning I want to be more spiritually healthy so I can help others that aren't, man, the world would be different. The church would really be able to impact people. The unfortunate thing is the church can't help impact people because their own marriages are falling apart. The church can't help people because the guys are looking at porn all the time. The church can't help people because people in the church are straight up doing the very things they condemn the world for doing. A person must learn to take care of themselves before they can properly take care of others. And if you've been walking with God for any period of time and you thought that you've got it all figured out, you don't understand how much you need others. And how much others need you. Just because a person's a pastor doesn't mean he doesn't need other people inputting it in their life. Just because he's a leader in the church doesn't mean that he doesn't need others to influence them. The reason why it's so important is we needed parents when we were growing up, didn't we? Our children need us if we're parents today. The same goes in the church. God's worked some things out in your life. Use that now to help someone else that isn't where you are. Instead of condescending me like, all right, imagine telling your little kid, come on, buddy, you got this. Pick it up. Thing weighs three times his weight. Well, essentially, we're trying to do in the church. We're asking the weak to lift what only strong can. In the church, there are those who need help in their practical living. See, the church is unlike any other organization on this earth. It is a group of saints who are all sinners, saved by grace, made a part of the family of God by Jesus Christ. None of us were qualified. None of us came in with, here's my certification, I deserve to be a part of the church. We all had the debt paid by someone else. And we got a pass only because he did something. We didn't. There's never been a better family to be a part of. And I'm going to say this from my heart, church, as a pastor, it breaks my heart when people tear at the church. The very church that Jesus purchased with his blood. I'm not talking about the frauds in the church. That's not what I'm talking about. 
I'm talking dear brothers and sisters who are a part of the family of God, who struggle with sin, who God is working on. Those people. My family in the faith. When I see another brother or sister come as an accuser, I push against that. Not because I hate that brother or sister, but because they're being deceived in that moment. And they're being a tool of Satan, as Peter was to Jesus. They think they're helping. They're only hurting. If your first reason in actually discussing the church is to criticize the church, realize that Jesus paid for the church. Of which you are a part of. The family of God is unique is because it's not on the performance of the saints, but on the performance of the Savior that we're qualified. None of us are qualified. None of us. Doesn't matter how long you've been walking with God, we didn't become qualified to earn salvation. The church is to live out this truth, which is why godly influences are also necessary for the last thing we're going to mention today. For the furthering of the gospel. For furthering the gospel. Philippians 2, 19-22. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father he served with me, in the gospel. Timothy had such a special relationship with Paul that Paul recommends him to others and says, listen, this is like the best thing for your church. I'm sending you my son. He's labored in the gospel with me. Paul had become a spiritual father to him. Love the statement that's made here. That Paul says he knows no one like Timothy who will care genuinely, and he has proved himself. You ever had a recommendation you made of somebody that you hired or recommended for a job or a role, and you couldn't be more proud that you made that recommendation? That's what Paul's feeling here. Like, there's nobody better I can send than my son Timothy. And I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I know this is something that maybe some of you don't realize because it might not be said to you directly. But there are certain folks in this church, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, when someone brings you up, I literally can't help but speak of how faithful you are to God. I mean that. I can't help but say, that person serves faithfully. Throughout these last few years, they've been a tremendous help to this body. God's worked in their life. But you know, Pastor Roman, they've got this and this and this. You don't even know the goodness of God in their life. You don't even know how God's changed some things already. You're just focused on all the flaws you still want to see. Isn't it easy to find the flaws? Isn't it easy? What's harder sometimes to see what God's already changed? We're so quick to point out what hasn't changed and so slow to point out what has. There's just something about a person serving alongside us with the furtherance of the gospel. Like we're not just doing a Christian school because it's a good idea. We're doing a Christian school so that we can reach people with the gospel as well. That by chance and sharing those things with the students, their parents might be moved. We're not doing this because we've got nothing better to do. And everyone that works in the school realize, and I want you to stop for a moment and really take this in. You're partnering together in the furtherance of the gospel. 
Get it out of your head that it's just education. It's more than that. There are eternal consequences. Grace Academy is not just to be some elevated, better Christian school. It is to be a gospel-centered ministry that trains students to think. I don't need a smarter pagan, nor do you. Stop telling everyone how you care for those outside the faith when you only fling stones and dirt at those saints around you. I can't tell you how many people in the church fling all sorts of dirt at other believers, and yet they tell everybody how they love the world and they want to reach people outside the church. It literally makes me want to throw up. It's disgusting. I want to love everybody else outside the church, but my family... Why would anybody want to be a part of your family? Why would they want to be a part of the church if that's your attitude towards them? Who would be interested in the gospel that never unified you with the other saints? This is why the text is so important, that before offering something to God, which sounds really spiritual, right? I'm going to offer something to God. The text that says, go make it right with your brother first. How about that for reality? So many of us are like, God, I want to do this for you. I love you. I want to do all these things that you call me to. All right, get it right with your brother first. Oh, not that. No. No. I'm going to pretend I didn't see that. I'm going to pretend that's not really what the text says. I'm going to argue with the pastor because that's not true. Take it up with God. It's not me. I had nothing to do with that text. That was spoken by Jesus. And I thought you said you believe what he says. We pretend that God is pleased with us offering something with bitterness or hatred in our heart towards our brother or sister, and he's not. I have so much respect for a person that's willing to come up to me and tell me what it is that they hold against me because they tell the truth. Then the one that goes off saying all sorts of things that they don't like about the church, they don't like about the pastor, they don't like about so-and-so and that in private. Brothers and sisters, we need to make things right with each other. And it's not because Pastor Roman said so, it's because Scripture says so. And, you're, you, and you and I are not always going to be, e- and it's not going to be easy to do that. I get it, it's controversial at times. It's very uneasy. But I promise you, one of the things that we do that really hinders our spiritual growth as a church is we let conflict stay going with people. We allow bitterness to keep growing. We allow things that we do not want to deal with in our lives to be avoided that truly are a monster that's growing. And before you know it, you've started becoming bitter towards more people than you can imagine. You've started blaming everybody else for your own sin. And at the end, you start thinking that only you are the righteous one, which is a real form of self-deception. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, one of the scariest things for a church to allow in, the, in, the, in its midst is a believer that is so self-deceived that they've never had to confront anything with anybody. Because the truth is, every single one of us has done something against a brother or sister in any, in a, given any amount of time we have. And we should have dealt with it. And unfortunately, what's really scary is when you have things that have been festering for many years that have never been taken care of. And I know we, we dealt with some of these things in studies we've done in the past. And I want to bring this up, and I, and I sincerely mean this. If you have something against somebody in this church, please get it right with them. Please get it right with them. Please stop destroying the body. Please stop destroying the saint who Christ died for as well. You're a part of the same family.
Spurgeon says, it's terribly easy matter to be a minister of the gospel and a vile hypocrite at the same time. I want to reach people. I love people. You don't even love your family in Christ. Behind every brother or sister we have a problem with our family members connected to the gospel we may never reach. I want you to take a moment to think about that. Behind every person that we have a conflict with in the church are other family members that aren't saved, that are affected with the gospel. Have you considered that? Make things right with others and be genuine on your end is essentially what the gospel is all about. Yet we still like to hold the grudge. The gospel church is far too important for us to hold on to things that frankly don't matter at the end. What's even worse is sometimes we hold a grudge against somebody we don't even know what for. We just don't like them anymore. We have no idea why. We're that immature. They said something, did something years ago. What was it? I don't know. I don't like them anymore. I don't want to talk to them anymore. Keep them away from me. But I'm the mature one. The gospel is far too important for us to hold on to these things against us when the king of glory suffered much more than you and I could ever imagine. Did Jesus come after the cross and spew hatred at his disciples for leaving him abandoned? Did he come back? You left me hanging! Did he do that? Or did he gently remind them why he came? And what he'd called them to. Did he correct Peter? Sure. But how did he do it? To restore him. In conclusion, how are you spending your time? How's the time in God's Word? How's the time in God's Word? Is it a priority or just a casual optional reading for you? Eh, take it or leave it. We'll see. Many times we don't read because we don't want to face the reality of our own sin. If we read and are convicted, don't stop there, believer. Use the word to then help you in the battle. God's word is not there just to convict, it's there to help you in the battle. God is essentially the doctor that will tell you the problem and also offer the solution. He's not going to leave you hanging with just a diagnosis. Scripture gives you everything you need. Help others in the battle as well. How's the prayer life? You finding yourself praying selfish, needy prayers without any acknowledgement of sin? How many of us bypass that one entirely? Lord, help me with all the things I have going on in my life. Never mind the fact that probably sin has a big role to play. I don't want to acknowledge that. I don't confess that. Lord, work on them. I'm good. You need to come to God as he is, not the way you'd want him to be. You don't get to pick that. That's why the word is so important to be the starting place. So many people pray but lack biblical discernment. Because the Bible isn't a priority. You know what a lot of Christians do today? A lot of Christians pray without reading the Bible so they have something to say. They care more about what they have to say than what God's Word says. The Word should direct our prayers. Our prayers shouldn't direct the Word. We don't pray and ask God to do something that God's Word never says. Don't demand from God to do for your to do for others what you yourself are not willing to deal with in your own life. Realize who you are before him. Come boldly because of, because of what Christ has done on your behalf. Here's this last one we're going to close. Make spending time with godly people a priority. Make it a priority, church. You'll be encouraged in ways you never will on your own. 
You may have seasons in your life where God wants you to encourage others and other seasons where God will use others to encourage you. Don't be too prideful, depending on the season. Some of you, you're the type that pours out all the time to others, and you're wondering, when am I going to have that? Your day will come. When you go through hardships, you're going to need others to encourage you. Be willing to take and receive that help then. Don't be too proud to accept what it is that God has for you in that particular season. If you're quick to point out the flaws in others, but you don't remember the last time you confessed sin before God with the intention according to the word, you need to go back and see whether or not you've been repentant lately. Because you may very well be living a hypocritical, pharisaical lifestyle. Before praying for others to change or for God to reach others, know what it is that he wants from you and go there first. If it's getting right with someone else, do it. Stop waiting for others. Be bold yourself to do that first. Do it with humility. Church, I'm going to tell you right now, the joy of restoration is amazing. Why do you think the gospel was such an amazing thing when we first were affected by it? Because we had our relationship with Christ restored. What makes you think that restoring with a brother or sister is not going to have that same effect? What makes you think that animosity or being an enemy is a better option? The better option was definitely when you had saving faith and Jesus turned everything upside down. He turned your life around because you were restored to him, an enemy becoming, becoming a friend. May we find ourselves at the close of our lives, having spent our time well.